everybody. Welcome to the Hallmark Keys podcast. And today we have another episode of our romantic reading wrap up. And we are talking about Jane Austen, the queen of the romance novel. We're talking about uh, her book, Persuasion, in honor of the, uh, <laughs> the Netflix original movie that came out this month. <laughs> and a lot of thoughts about that and about Jane Austen. So it's going to be fun. I'm film critic Rachel Wagner Breeze here. Hello, everyone. And Brie, we have a very exciting guest with us today. We do. Yes. Uh, your co-host on the Categorically Romance podcast. We have Aaron Taylor here. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So this is your first time on our show. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about uh, about your, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and also uh, how you started podcasting with Brie. Uh, yeah. Well, so I... Um... I started a booktube channel probably about six, seven years ago. I read mostly sci-fi at the time. Um, made a switch to romance. Uh, it wasn't on purpose, it was kind of on accident, but happy accident. Um, haven't stopped since and um, have just turned my YouTube channel into just total romance all the time. And so I mostly <laughs> do vlog entries, uh, vlogs of, of read-throughs of books. Um, a lot of Harlequins, but there are some single titles that I do too. So mm -hmm. I read a chapter, I try and make a clever tweet, and then I record a vlog <laughs> entry every chapter. So it's it's kind of a whole process. Um, it's fun to do, but you know it it does kind of suck some of the enjoyment out of reading out of it. You know, but <laughs> but I enjoy it, and people other people seem to enjoy it. And, I love and, your uh, clever tweets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, that uh, got Bree's attention and she invited me on to guest a few times on the, the Categorically Romance podcast. And um, if anyone's aware, um, other co-host Sarah has spent some time in the hospital. Uh, and so I filled in during that gap, but they asked me to stay on afterwards. Yeah. So here I am. It's been a match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's where you met each other was on Twitter then. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Though, okay. yeah. though we had... I guess our our social our booktube social yeah. circles kind of crossed over a little mm -hmm. bit, but yeah, we didn't connect until till actually on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So, how did you get started reading romance? Oh, so I I was on a mission to read this list of one hundred the one hundred best sci fi books before the year two thousand. When I finished that, it was you know, mostly white men that were dead too, that, right. that wrote those books. So I decided it was time to read a, a little more diversely. And in that diversity reading, I read The Wedding Date by Jasmine Gilroy. And that was, that was the nail in the coffin for me. It's, I haven't yeah. looked back since. I haven't even heard this story. I love that so much, Erin. <laughs> Very, I'll have to read that. I haven't read that. What's it called again? Oh, um, the Wedding Date. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's great. It's like trapped in an elevator in the beginning, you know, strangers, mm -hmm. but you know, guy needs a wedding date and, you know, they had a good time being trapped in the elevator together, you know, nothing steamy happened, but you know, <laughs> he, he asked her to go to the wedding with him. And it's, ju it's just yeah. so oh, cute yes. all tons the way of, Tons of food references. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Do you get flack from some people being a, a guy in the, in the romance uh, reading world? Uh, you know, being a white male, no, because, you know, no one's going to say anything to me, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, they'll, they'll say things to, you know, anyone else reading a romance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just, I say to them, well, have you tried reading one? And their answer is always right. no. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, let's dive in to persuasion, talk about Jane Austen. Now, you, Brie, you had read Pride and Prejudice, right? Or one of them before? Yes. Okay. I've read only read, I had only read Pride and Prejudice up to this point. And it's okay. been some years, y'all. And, so. and you only read it the one time? I only read yeah. it the one time. <laughs> Sorry. I am not a classics person. I am not a classics person. Uh -huh. Maybe modern classics, but like Jane Austen and all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love hearing people talk about it, but it's not yeah. for me. What's your biggest barrier in enjoying Austin? Is it just the language or the pacing or what, what's, what's a challenge for you? I, I don't know. I remember reading Pride and Prejudice and I like, it was one of the first audiobooks that I remember listening to. And I think having it on audio definitely helped. I just, mm -hmm. I don't know. 
Oh, I love seeing friends that love classics and like read them all the time. And I'm just like, Oh, I have no interest in reading these books. I'm such a contemporary reader. I think that's it. I think I'm Uh such a contemporary reader. Yeah. What about you, Aaron? What's your sort of history with Jane Austen? Uh, So I, in, in my, the beginnings of my romance journey, while I was, you know, looking for new things to read, I, I remembered, you know, I loved the 1995 um, Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Mm-hmm. And my, my parents actually had the whole thing on VHS tape. So <laughs> I I wore those tapes out. <laughs> so yeah. I, I had never read the book. So I was like, oh, well, perfect opportunity. I'm going to read Pride and Prejudice. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I had read most of Jane's works. And, you know, it was, it was great. And I go back for a reread quite often on on several of them. So Emma, Persuasion, and Pride and Prejudice, definitely most often. Yeah. So when I was in uh, high school, I, my senior year of high school, I actually did community college instead of high school. And we got like two months off for winter break. Like it was a Mm -hmm. long time, month and a half, something like that. And uh, so I was kind of, I, my parents had moved. That's the reason why I started college early. Uh, My parents had moved across the country. So I didn't really have any friends. uh, And um so I, my mom's a big reader. She's always loved the classics. And, uh, and so I decided to read Sense Sensibility. That was the first one that I ever read. And, and it wasn't that far off of the movie was, came out in 1995, which I loved, of course. Uh, but, and this would have been uh, 97. So it would have been fairly close. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's why I picked that one first or what, what was the reason, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, I, uh, I read that and I just loved it and devoured it. And I, and I think maybe that was a good one for me to start on because I, you know, I have a sister that I was very close to two years younger. And then, um, uh, and then I have a sister that's 10 years younger. And then my mom actually had, uh, was during that time, my mom, uh, had another, uh, little girl. So I had another brand new sister. <laughs> um, so that sensibility, you know, it was kind of all about sisters. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that was part of it as well, but I just loved it. And so then I read um, Pride and Prejudice and Emma during that break, I just devoured them. And, uh, and then I kind of made it a thing for a long time that I would read her uh, six um, main novels mm-hmm. every year. Uh, so and particularly, uh, particularly five, sometimes I wouldn't read Maxwell Park. Uh, I, I will talk about that later. I, I get I've it. grown, I I've grown to appreciate it over the years, but, um, it's, it's my at least favorite of the, of her novels, but I just love her characters. I love the banter. I love the, the stories and it just really, uh, kind of got me, uh, interested in reading the classics. Uh, I, it's interesting because I'm a pretty big reader uh, in my adult life, but as a kid, I actually wasn't that much of a reader. Um, I, I was kind of slow to read. I didn't start until about second grade uh, that I was like, and then the very first like big book that I ever remembered reading was I, I read, um, uh, I read little women, uh, when I was, this was like fourth or fourth grade. Uh, and I, I was very, very proud of the fact that I had read this big book, you know, and, and, uh, it was, you know, I've always loved that story and my whole life. Um, but I don't know, I just wasn't that big of a reader. And, and I I remember in high school, I got on a John Grisham kick. (laughs) That was my YA novels were, uh, reading the client and the Pelican brief and stuff Uh like that. (laughs) <laughs> but uh but anyway it wasn't until I was an adult that I really started like reading with uh with some intensity I guess and mm-hmm. yeah. you know read Dickens read Austin read um and uh or Elizabeth Gaskell you know some of my favorites and it's it's interesting you say Brie because I find it harder to find contemporary reads that I like uh mm-hmm. it, so often it seems like they lean into, um, like, I don't have a problem with there being sensuality and steam in books or mm-hmm. language, 
but I do have a problem when I feel like they're kind of leaning onto those things in a kind of a lazy way where I feel like sometimes the classics, they had to sort of try harder with the characters in the story because they didn't have a lot of those things to kind of lean on to entice and titillate the reader. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of my history with Austin and I, and I, for the most part have enjoyed uh, the various adaptations of Austin's work. I get annoyed with Hallmark because they put Austin's names on things, but then they're not actually versions of the book at all. Like Pride, Pride, Prejudice and Mistletoe, which yeah. was <laughs> not Pride and Prejudice at all. <laughs> they have Lacey Chabert playing a Darcy character and it's just basically a party planning movie. And then Sensibility and Snowman was not yeah. in at all. Um, so that annoys it's a me. marketing thing, Rachel. Yeah. It's, it's annoying. <laughs> I don't like it just because I would love for them to really do one to do like yeah. a real, that would be so fun, but they don't. Yeah. Uh, so I don't like that. But aside from that, usually I'm pretty easygoing. I, I was telling Aaron off air that I, I even like the uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which nobody <laughs> hardly likes. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to have our sort of characters kicking butt and killing zombies and stuff. Yeah. To me, that was enjoyable. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Escape to the Florida Emerald Coast this summer in The Beach Escape by Rachel McGee from Hallmark Publishing. After a, a monumental heartbreak, Molly Lawrence is trying to start over as a traveling vet. But Grant Torres, his charming dimples, and one stubborn loggerhead turtle named Chompers challenge the future Molly's imagined for herself. The perfect beach read for your summer book list, The Beach Escape, is a friends-to-lovers romance full of snorkeling, sailing, and of course, turtles. The Beach Escape is available August 9th from Hallmark Publishing on Amazon and in stores at selected bookstores. For more information about The Beach Escape and other titles by Rachel McGee, visit www.rachelmcgeebooks.com. That's rachelmcgeebooks.com. What do you think about, I mean, I I know that Persuasion has a few adaptations. I know Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice has a bunch of adaptations. Like, yeah. what do you think as both a reader and with you doing, being a film critic as well, like the constant updating of the adaptations like Mm -hmm. I still haven't watched the adaptation that came out was it last year or two years ago of Rebecca because I'm like Alfred Hitchcock's I feel like was the only one that we needed like why did we need a new one but it does I think bring some brief attention to the book Mm -hmm. for people that may not have read it but it's like at this point if you haven't heard of Jane Austen I just, I don't know. So like, what are y'all's thoughts of like the constant? Cause like the diehard fans are like, we didn't need another adaptation. You know, everybody has their favorites, but like, what do you think? What's the interesting thing about persuasion in particular is that we haven't ever really gotten a great version of persuasion. We've had a couple serviceable, decent versions, but we, we haven't gotten like that definitive version. Like we have with the, uh, with the Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice, which is mm-hmm. like, practically perfect as far as translating the book over to a movie or series uh we've never gotten that with persuasion i think what's harder with persuasion is that you have a somewhat kind of timid and Mm -hmm. um and introverted heroine which is harder to translate to the screen and especially modern audiences want bold and you know tough and kind of thing and just so to try to kind of capture that the it's it's harder which i think is a shame because everybody deserves to have have their characters that they can relate to on screen it, yeah. like all female characters shouldn't be like bold and and yeah. <laughs> and snarky like we should have some sweet kind introverted characters on yeah. on the screen but i think that mm-hmm. is the challenge that's the difficulty with persuasion but um uh but yeah, I, I think just like anything, Hollywood is just desperate for IPs, intellectual yeah. properties. And something that people will say, ooh, I know that. I know mm-hmm. that. I'm interested in that. And and so that's that's why they look to Jane Austen just like they look to Batman. You know, it it it's something people know, some people recognize. 
Um, and it's just easier to sell than uh, some random Regency novelist, you know, or, or whatever yeah. that, that, that doesn't have that IP recognition. I know. What do you think, Aaron, about that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's been a trend in, in cinema for a while, but you know, the, the producers are going for name recognition on anything. So we've, mm-hmm. we've got all of these big franchises and everything. And, and it, you know, it all comes down to no one's going to lay down money on something that's not going to return it. Right. So yeah. that's why we, you know, we don't really have original films hitting the theaters anymore. We've got, you know, a new Dune movie, which I loved. I thought it was great, but still it's like, you know, we could, we could do mm-hmm. something new, but yeah, it's, um, I, I feel like, yeah, they, they tried to modernize a little too much. Um, and, and like you said, it's, you know, people aren't cookie cutter shapes. Like I remember in like the eighties and nineties, the the action movies the the hero had to be the Arnold Schwarzenegger type you know Mm -hmm. so it's almost it's almost like a version of that where you know the the heroines have to be you know snarky and um you know quick-witted and everything Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's you know not everyone's like that and and we should be able to see the timid introverted person falling in love like and yeah. finding love that's there's that's something that the they deserve t- there's room at the table for everybody exactly. yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah and that's the problem with this new version of persuasion is that it's barely persuasion at all it has it's a second second chance romance but uh it it's it, that's about it really i mean they mm-hmm. they meet up again um but they completely changed Anne's character. She's snarky. She's drunk most of the movie, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's breaking the fourth wall, talking to the camera. Uh, I actually enjoyed that part of it. Oh, you did? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I thought it inserted the Austin wit that, that mm-hmm. you don't, the, 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 the narration you get in the book that you don't get in the movies, which is usually mm-hmm. the, the thing that has you laughing the most in the books is, is just the narration and commentary. So, I'm sorry, maybe, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I maybe could have enjoyed that more if they had actually stuck to Austin's yes. prose. Instead, mm-hmm. they're having her say things like, a, a, uh, what do they say? A, a, a five in London is a 10 in Bath, you know? Oh, and, yeah. Like, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was weird. <laughs> And she's all talking about her exes, and uh, I, it was. I'm like, you have some of the be- most beautiful language ever. I mean, some of the most beautiful mm-hmm. prose ever written in the English language, and you're going with, uh, yeah, a five in yeah. London is a ten in Bath. It, it's that that. And like, there's a point where she literally spills an entire bottle of wine on her head. Oh. I mean, it's just it's like, this is not this character so at <laughs> all. <laughs> well, now that I think about it, so if, if it's a it's a viewer that's never actually read the novel and they watch this movie and they fall in love with the movie, they're going to be potentially disappointed when they go read the book because so. it's not yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and just from a, a movie making standpoint, it wasn't very strong. The The costumes are all over the place. They make no sense. The hair doesn't make any sense for the time period. Like it would have been better if they had just had it be a modern movie because yeah. if, if you want her mm-hmm. hair to be down the whole time to, you know, just things like that. And then they totally changed Mr. Elliot's character. Uh, you know, he's such a, 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 he's such a villain, you know, in this, and then in the end, they actually want to make it seem like his wedding at the end of the movie is some kind of triumph for love. And like, yeah. Don't let anybody yeah. tell you, you can't love who you want to love. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not this character at all. His great love match is supposedly Mrs. Clay in the movie. And yeah, like, <laughs> What? Also, they have this weird conversation in the movie uh, where they agree that uh, we'll just we'll just be friends. We're going to be friends. And I thought that was a mistake because this is not a story that has huge stakes. Like they're pretty, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's just not a ton. And so establishing that they actually kind of like each other and that they're friends early on kind of takes whatever tension or romantic tension was there 
because you mm-hmm. it takes it away. So yeah. I thought that was a big mistake as well. It just it just was bad. It was bad. Like when I first watched it, I was kind of like, hmm. And then like I kept thinking about it. I'm like, ooh, I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was trying to give it a chance in the beginning. Yeah. I, I found some things that I liked about it, but then it just, it just <laughs> kept going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah. the best part is probably her sister Mary in any version yes. of persuasion, yeah. and including this one. She's very funny. Uh so that works. But let's dive in a little bit and talk a little bit more about the book. Uh, so the summary is Anne Elliott, a young English woman of 27 years whose family moves to, lo- to lower their expenses and reduce their debt by renting their home to an admiral and his wife. The wife's brother, Captain Frederick Wentworth, was engaged to Anne in 1806, but the engagement was broken when Anne was persuaded by her friends and family to end their relationship. Anne and Captain Wentworth, both still still single and unattached, meet again after a seven-year separation, setting the scene for many humorous encounters as well as a second well-considered chance at love and marriage for Anne in her second bloom. So I always kind of love that she's in her second bloom. 27. <laughs> I'm like still waiting for my second bloom, I think. I, I don't even know how to first bloom, but... <laughs> But really, I mean, at 27, Anne would have been been considered basically unmarriageable yeah. at that mm-hmm. point in this time. So the fact that that Wentworth still holds a, a candle for her th- all these years is very, very romantic. And, uh, and he starts out just so angry and annoyed uh, with her, <laughs> what she did. And uh, I think that that uh just makes him a very swoonworthy character uh and i think he's probably the most fleshed out with maybe mr knightley and emma maybe it would be a a contender mm-hmm. but either one of them are probably the most fleshed out of any of the male leads of uh austin book uh you agree aaron yeah yeah i was i was trying to think i was thinking like maybe maybe um Mansfield Park but that was more just length than anything (laughs) you know he just spent the whole book you know chasing someone else and then went to Fanny in the end it's like what do you say Fanny (laughs) so I read that this is this was her final completed novel and it came out after she died which is kind of creepy and sad Uh, but people call it her most mature novel Mm -hmm. so I mean I've only read two at this point but the y'all agree with that or what i think so and it does yeah. feel like a tiny bit uh autobiographical a little bit and you know and just in the sense obviously didn't have this romance but just mm-hmm. in the sense that she never married and uh that Anne kind of feels maybe something like uh what i what i would imagine maybe her her personality is like or at least her life situation is, is somewhat similar mm-hmm. yeah yeah, from from what what I've read, um, Austin didn't bask in the fame that much. She mm-hmm. she really didn't, you know, want to take the spotlight or anything like that. Um, yeah, yeah, well, and of... Anne is also a more mature character in the sense of she's she's uh, less flawed than certainly Emma for sure. Emma's oh, yeah. way more uh, way more young and flawed, um, and then Lizzie is. Uh, is definitely more high spirited and you've got the Dashwood sisters that, uh, in sense sensibility, at least Marianne is more of the mm-hmm. high spirited kind of thing. And so in that sense, she's definitely a more mature character. I mean, she's just older. Um, and that is also kind of annoying when people, I was talking to a friend of mine and she said that people are always trying to make all of Austin's heroines, uh, Lizzie Bennett. And I, yeah. I think that there is some truth to that, and especially in this mm-hmm. new persuasion that, uh, that, uh, that they all want to be sort of the, uh, the strong willed, you know, uh, independent, uh, character that Lizzie Bennett is, but, yeah. uh, we need, this is a similar thing you see in a lot of versions of, of little women where every character has, is like Joe. And I'm like, if every character is like Joe, then Joe doesn't, Joe's not special. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, I really liked 
the when they talk about Wentworth at the end and uh, you get some this I'm saying some of the introspection and some of the you really get to know him in a way mm-hmm. that you don't know some of the others uh and he they say it says there may not have been one person more my enemy even than that lady talking about lady russell my own there may not have been one person more my enemy even than that lady my own self tell me if when i returned to england in the year 18 and a few thousand pounds and, and was posted into laconia if i had written to you would you have answered my letter would you in short have answered renewed the engagement then and she says would i <laughs> was all her answer but the accent was decisive enough. Good God, he cried, you would. It is not that I did not think of it or desire it as would uh, could alone crown all my other successes, but I was proud, too proud to ask again. I did not understand you. I shut my eyes and would not understand you or do you justice. So I think it kind of getting into the the male character in that kind of way is, is sort of unique about this story mm-hmm. being self-aware yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and just love how smitten he is with her. Yeah. 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 Especially again, if you know about that time period where she would have been considered unmarriageable, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he's having yeah. the Musgraves be interested in him and they were, I mean, way younger than, yeah. uh, than Anne. Uh, so <laughs> Um, I also love the fact that Anne isn't judgmental of those around her. She's not judgmental of Mary. She's not judgmental of the Musgroves. Uh, she, she has those opinions and we hear them inside, but she never, she's kind of usually keeps them to herself. Uh, and so I think it makes her a likable character. She's just, she's such a good listener and she's, she's not judgmental of those around her, despite being given ample reasons to be so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She felt very relatable. Yeah. Like who hasn't been overlooked, who hasn't disagreed with family decisions or, you know, looked back and had feelings about your own decisions that you've made in the past and stuff like that. I felt like she was super relatable. Yeah. And- yeah. I'm glad you felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else did you think? I think I, I know the classics aren't your thing, but what else was your take sort of on, uh, on reading persuasion free? I, I think my only, the, the thing that stuck out with me the most, which I kind of understand, I guess why she did, I, I guess I would have liked to see more of Anne and Captain Wentworth on page together. Yeah. But sometimes those stories where they spend a lot of it away just end up working in the end. Like it's just that much more satisfying, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of torn on how I feel about it. Like I would have yeah. liked to see it more, but at the same time, it's like, I get it. What's an interesting thing about Austin is, is that despite her books being centered around marriage and the characters getting married, uh, there's actually not very much romantic dialogue in her books uh, with mm-hmm. the exception of Emma. Emma's really the only one where you get a lot of witty banter between the the two leads uh, because they are kind of, they're not related, but they are um, both uh, in-laws, uh, in-lawed together. <laughs> right. uh, so they spend a lot of time together. They bicker, they fight. Whereas the rest of her novels, they they really don't spend that much time together. It's sort of an interesting thing. And it kind of drives me crazy when you get to these moments of sort of, of romantic dialogue. And a lot of times it says, Jane will say something like, he said, what was appropriate for a man desperately love? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't know what he said. (laughs) (laughs) And she does that here too, in in persuasion, but at least we get, the iconic Wentworth letter and this is the and I was joking on Twitter the other day I'm like nobody nobody writes a letter like a dude in a Jane Austen (laughs) movie book yeah Uh, there's just it's so it's so swoonworthy to have these just these impassioned letters Uh, and I love his is the best it's so good and he says says, I can listen no longer in silence. I must speak to you by such means as are within my reach. 
you pierce my soul. I'm half agony, half hope. Tell me not that I'm too late, that such precious feelings are gone forever. I offer myself to you again with a heart even more your own than when you almost broke it eight years and a half ago. Dare not say that man forgets sooner than woman, that his love has an earlier death. I have loved none but you. Unjust I may have been, weak and resentful I have been, but never inconstant. You alone have brought me to bath, for you alone I think and plan. Have you not seen this? Can you fail to have understood my wishes? I had not waited even these 10 days could I have could I have read your feelings as I think you must have penetrated mine. I can hardly write. I am every instance hearing something which overpowers me. You sink your voice, but I can distinguish the tones of that voice when they would be lost on others. Too good, too excellent a creature. You do us justice indeed. You do believe that there is true attachment and constancy among men. Believe it to be most fervent, most undeviating in me. So that is just great. <laughs> right. Can I Tell ask me how you, you <laughs> what you thought of how the letter was presented in the latest movie? Ugh. Well, you know, it's weird because the only one that actually, of the, of the versions that we've gotten, the only one that actually shows him writing the letter is the night is the 1992 one and uh, it's such a good scene it's it's a great scene you see them talking you see him you know writing Uh writing um and in this uh, and then in the 2007 one uh, it's kind of similar to this recent one with she she just meets somebody uh and oh i was supposed to send you this letter and i'm like why why would you do that when you have like the chance for this really dramatic scene of of of, uh, this letter writing um, and then in this one, uh, she gets the letter and then she goes and, you know, finds him and she, as she's searching for him, you, you get the letter read out. Um, uh, I didn't think that they had any chemistry in this recent one they, at all. Um, yeah. and so I don't know, it, it was a pretty good kiss. I think in this most recent one, there was a sense of like <gasps> in it, but, uh, but yeah, what did you think? I thought that the pacing of the way that Dakota, um, Dakota Johnson, is that her name? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, the way that she delivered it really just took all of the the yeah. punch out of it. It, it was agree. so slow and like the expressions on her face while she's reading it to the camera, just, I, I, I was, I was pretty upset because I was waiting for that moment and it feel, and it just felt sour. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It was not what's you want in this moment half agony half hope i mean is there brie is there a better letter in literature it's pretty good (laughs) it's pretty good yeah (laughs) i mean is netflix like are they tapping into bridger not bridger yeah bridgerton's been a hit people are loving is that what we're doing here yeah yeah It, it was just written all over it well, and that's the problem is because Bridgerton works because it's basically a bodice ripper. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's got that kind of intensity. Um, but persuasion is the exact opposite of that. Yeah, it's about this twenty-seven-year-old shy, you know, woman uh, that's that's finally by the end able to do what she wants and able to find love, and it's very sweet. It's not. A bodice ripper by any stretch of the imagination yeah. i saw recently that they have a new uh marilyn monroe coming out that's yeah. i guess based off of a joyce carol oates book called blonde and i'm like you guys just put like an entire documentary out about her as well i'm like what is it with pop culture and like mm-hmm. adapting these things that like are just in our face all the time. I'm like, do we need another like Marilyn Monroe film at this point? Like let the lady yeah. rest in peace. <laughs> so yeah, I was like with this, it felt like, okay, they know Bridgerton's hot and it's going to be like a, what December's when it comes out, let's give them, you know, another Something to hold romance. Over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was disappointed because I, I was ready to, de- I was ready to defend this movie <laughs> because I, like I said, I usually, cause there's, there's Austinites that are so picky about any, yeah anything that strays from the book at all. Like in the 2007 persuasion, it, when she gets the letter, she then runs 
to find Wentworth. And there are people, like, oh, she would never run. She would never run in Regency era England. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, you got to allow like a little bit of dramatic interpretation from the, from the director and the like, modern day director. Yeah. I mean, so there's some that just want it to be so safe. And I, so I was ready to defend this one and be like, no, you're all wrong. It's really good. And I just couldn't, they just went too far, <laughs> but, uh, but Yeah. I like how she says such a letter was not to soon be recovered from. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Line. All right. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I kind of wondered why in reading it this time, why does Mr. Elliot not go after Elizabeth, uh, her sister and sister? Cause it seems like that would be the easier sister to engage with you know, that because her sister is much more cares way more about appearance and rank uh-huh. and titles and all of that. I don't know. Do you have any take on that, Aaron? Um, yeah, I thought I thought that was um, that was odd, too. Um, I guess I never placed that much in the book because it seems like that sister got, I don't know, just kind of sidelined or is very forgettable in the mm-hmm. book. Uh, so it would make sense, though you know, that, that they would be a better match. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I did think it was a little odd with Mr. Elliot um, without Mrs. Smith. I'm not surprised that they wrote Mrs. Smith out of it. Like that's, you know, oh, kind yeah. of a side tangent in the book that would have would have distracted in the movie. But to have Mr. Elliot just out himself to Anne of like, oh yeah, I just, I oh. want to make sure I get my fortune and yeah, duh. <laughs> I wonder if that's where like all the rom-coms got how, you know, like in the rom-coms, there's always like a super obvious choice that this person should end up with, but they never do. I wonder if they got that from Jane Austen. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, and I think with this new movie, they, so they cast Henry Golding and they were promoting that big time but then they realized oh shoot we can't cast henry golding and make him the villain we have to make him we have to redeem his character somehow because he's they literally wanted him to be the second most uh second person on the call sheet uh, and uh so the, the, that's why i think they did what they did to change his character and mm-hmm. make give him this super happy ending with the with his uh, triumphant wedding and it's just yeah <laughs> Um, but I think, I think that's why they lost their nerve, uh, to make, a Henry Golding, the villain. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do also think it's interesting with Jane Austen that, uh, for the most part, almost all the married characters in her books are twits are bad. (laughs) There's a few exceptions like the gardeners in Pride and Prejudice or the Westons and Emma, but the exceptions. I mean, most people are like Charles and Mary, you know, it's just this, you can yeah. tell they can't stand each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Mary. She's so funny. I mean, I love how she goes from being near death ill, Ill yeah. to being upset that she's not invited to the party. Like a few minutes later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I surely, I, I can go and, and, uh, and she's so happy when Anne agrees to, you know, watch the, watch the, uh, watch the, the kids and mm-hmm. I, know, I just think that's really funny you talk about being totally unself-aware is mary yeah yeah those those were the best parts of the movie where mm-hmm. she was in definitely yeah. yeah and she's usually my favorite in the um uh in the 1992 version uh she's played by um uh sophie thompson who is emma thompson's sister and she's okay. very funny she's also in uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow Emma, Miss Bates. She's funny there too. So, yeah, I don't know, Bree. Did you have any? I know we've kind of we've been rattling on, but did you have any other sort of thoughts about uh, the book as you're? <laughs> any other... Let me check my notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I just I was a little nervous, but I, the, I think the part that really stole the show for me was just how relatable Anne felt. Um, the plot mm-hmm. is very kind of subtle. Like I remember mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice feeling like super dramatic and this yeah. one really didn't feel that way. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's I no mean, like, like when she refuses Darcy, that's like such like a big 
yeah. dramatic moment. Yeah. There's no such moment in this story. It's all more kind of, like I said, that's why like taking out whatever stakes that they had in the movie was such a mistake because there's really not that many to begin with. <laughs> right. Yeah. The characters, I mean, are, are walking around most of the movie. If you know that yeah. If you know that they're in love with each other midway through, then it's just like them going to dinner a lot. Like it's yeah. not, there's no tension. Right. 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 Yeah. Hey, this is Jen Johans, host of the podcast Watch with Jen, which delivers a steady stream of great movie recommendations, thoughtful career deep dives, and first-rate conversations with film critics, authors, actors, journalists, filmmakers, and more. You can find Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts or hear us first at our Patreon at patreon.com slash filmintuition let's talk about our reading roundup. Um, so I, I had already read Pride and Prejudice in April and, uh, I, I, then I read Sense and Sensibility and I decided, okay, well, I'm just going to read all of the, um, Jane Austen's this year, like I used to do. So, uh, that's the first one I have actually talked about is Sense and Sensibility. I listened to it on audiobook, uh, when I was going to Bear Lake, uh, and so I finished it there and back and, uh, I, you know, I still love it. It was like, so it was my first uh, Jane Austen. I really like the dynamic between the two sisters. Uh, you have Eleanor who is, uh, kind of is more careful in how she expresses her emotions and her feelings. Uh, but she still has those. And, uh, and then you have the free spirited Marianne. Um, uh, and of course I, most people have seen the movie, but Kay Winslet is the movie in the, uh, in that movie, Emma Thompson is way too old to be playing Eleanor. She's supposed to be 19. Um, and she was 35, I think when she was playing. Um, and so people think that the character of Eleanor is like an old maid, like, Anne, but that's not the case. She's just more, um, I don't know even killed than Marianne. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I definitely can relate to both characters in a lot of ways. Cause I definitely have that independent side of me, but then I also am the oldest, oldest daughter in the family. Um, uh, and the one to kind of, uh, try to kind of listen to everybody and keep every, uh, keep everybody happy. Um, so, you know, I love it. I think it's great. Uh, and uh, so that's my first one. What about you, Brie? What's your first book? The first one that I read or that I'm mentioning on the list is The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston, which is kind of all over the place at the moment. And I feel like it's a book that deserves the hype that it's getting. Um, right. The main character is a ghostwriter. She's been writing for this woman in Maine who just, you know, never supposedly leaves the house, according to what we get at the beginning of the book. Um, and yeah, she was dating the sky. She, she sees dead people guys. Uh, <laughs> and, um, she comes from a, her father, her and her father have this gift of seeing dead people and they ran a funeral home back home. And when she was a teenager, she helped a dead boy in her grave in her grade, uh, solve his murder. And so of course, everybody thought she was full of crap and kind of ran her out of town. Um, so yeah, she's been like writing ghost writing and, you know, she writes sexy romance novels and that she doesn't tell anybody about. And this is her romance with a ghost. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but you think he's a ghost for the majority of the book. And it's, it's really good. There's something like really cozy about it. It's so hard to describe this book. It's really sweet. It's really cozy. I love the family dynamic her dad in the book has passed away so they're planning his funeral which sounds weird to say that it's cozy but like seeing all the family together like planning you know their dad's funeral who in the, the town was like the go-to guy for funerals uh <laughs> it just it was also like really fun so I loved it guys it's the well, dead so romantic. did they does it does it, she have to die at the end in order to be with him if he's I, a ghost I can't spoil it Rachel <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say what I think it is. <laughs> You're probably right. Cause I read another romance novel and I was before like years ago. And I was like, I wonder if she's going to do this same thing that this book did. And it did. And I was like, okay. Oh, <laughs> so, that would be like, just like heaven, you know, where she's the ghost, but she's actually not a ghost. She's 
in the coma. Yeah, no, you know. Yeah, maybe. I, I wanna, okay. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. <laughs> interesting, interesting. All right, Aaron, what's your first one you want to talk about? Uh, so first one I want to talk about is Claim to Save His Crown by Pippa Roscoe. It's the third and final book in the Royals of Spartia trilogy. And it was it was so good. It was really good that this couple was teased in the first two books. And so very happy to finally get to this one. So the first two books are the, the, the princesses. So we have a, a brother who's king and then his two younger sisters who are princesses in the first two books they get their romances and everything and you know you're looking at uh, their brother and he's, he seems kind of like a dick most of the time but he'll have these moments you know and so you're just like just like I need to know what this guy's about I need to get in his head and and yeah it's it was a great story so the, the chemistry between the main characters is incredible it's just it was so fun all the way through mm-hmm. that sounds good sounds good Well, my next book I'm talking about is The Beach Escape by Rachel McGee. And they, this book, they sponsored, Homework Publishing sponsored the podcast with this book. I interviewed her. uh, So obviously I have somewhat conflict of interest, I guess, on it. Uh, Yeah, it's a cute story. It's about this veterinarian who, as she's had this bad relationship, this, this uh, fiance dumps her and so she's kind of she's she needs a change of pace and so she decides to become this traveling veterinarian who like goes around and fills in for when uh, when when people uh when practices need somebody and she ends up through various conferences ends up filling in at this turtle center that's just for rehabbing and helping turtles and uh and she meets this guy there who's like the head of the turtle place and, uh, and they, they actually takes their times. There were, there were, if I'm honest, there were some times that were a little dry, uh, in the book, but, uh, but their chemistry was, was really good. And the, you get a lot of time with them kind of filling out their relationship and, and going out and seeing the turtles and, and, uh, and her, uh, she becomes friends with, uh, his, sister who's getting married uh and uh, so there's kind of the subplot of the sister and, and brother-in-law relationship which is nice uh and lots of turtles uh and uh, the ocean i'm a big ocean nut so you know i enjoyed that and uh, so yeah if you're looking for a beach read uh, i think it's a, a, a solid pick yay yeah okay did, did it, you read that one before Bree? the end of summer no i haven't started it yet okay <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm like, oh God, it's the end of summer. I need to read all those summer books I haven't read yet. And that's from Hallmark Publishing. Uh, so y'all should check it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, my next one is an historical. So my next three are ones that we read for the podcast. So <laughs> Compromised into a Scandalous Marriage by Lydia San Andres. Um, she had already published, like indie published some books, but Aaron and I interviewed her for, um, like she's a debut author with Harlequin. And in their historical line in particular, we're just so excited because we're slowly seeing more diversity in the historicals. Um, and in this one, so, oh gosh, it's a, it's a tough read. If you are a fan of historicals and you're a fan of suspense, I guess, like it's super intense. So the heroine- marriage. Ooh. Yeah, the heroine's parents have passed away. This takes place in like 1902, I believe in the Dominican Republic. And, um, so she's, she lives with her brother. He runs the show historical things. Okay. I don't really read a lot of historicals. <laughs> and so in the beginning, she, she meets the hero. They're like at a store or something and they're kind of hitting it off. And then her brother steps in her brother is such a jerk. He's so insufferable. Well, he basically is like, you embarrassed me by talking to this gentleman in the store, blah, blah, blah. And, like kicks her out of their home in the middle of the night and it's raining and the closest place for her to go is to the hero's home well then the brother shows up like the next day with the cops like look this guy kidnapped my sister and now I'm embarrassed because she slept here overnight so that's where the kind of like scandal kind of thing comes in they like 
take the hero to jail and he's like shackled to the wall. Cause I mean, they come from money. Uh, it's like the, uh, is it the sugar plantations? I think it's like sugar plantations or something. Um, but yeah, he's like, basically, if you want to get out of here, you have to marry my sister to like, not make this situation that I caught you all in look so bad. And at first he's like, no, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not getting married to your sister. Well, eventually after being in jail and kind of abused, he agrees to it. And he's like, I, I loved that at first. Like he is like, you had something to do with this. Like, I don't trust you either. Like you had to have masterminded this with your brother and she's totally innocent, but he doesn't know that. And so this is their relationship. They do get married before they unshackle him from the jail. They have to get married. And so it's like really fast paced in that way. And it's just slowly seeing their relationship build despite her greedy, selfish brother kind of looming in the background. So I thought it was, it had me on the edge of my seat. It's not something I would typically read. It was too intense, but it was really good. <laughs> but also based off of a real world circumstance. Too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Oh she does gosh. something with like museums and like reading through archives and was like, oh, this sounds like, <laughs> you know, it'd be a good historical romance. So. Well, what do you have next, Erin? So next one I had is Mid, um, Midnight Train from Georgia by Glenda Sanders. This was an old temptation from 1996. And we read I read this one for the hot July episode, but it ended up not being all that hot. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was just very, very sweet and swoony. So it's these our two characters are on, you know, a train going from Georgia to um Pennsylvania somewhere but they they have similar names and they ended up with the same ticket to the same sleeper car and so they're they you know have an argument about it one of them tries to leave for a while but it's it's you know it's not going to work and so they they come back and it's like all right well we're going to share this bed and they work out the rules and everything but you know they end up cuddling and it's being really sweet and everything and then it turns out that like he's He's her grandma's lawyer and her, her grandmother's, you know, about, you know, passes while the book um, is, you know, during the book. And, and so he then becomes her lawyer and they, they keep seeing each other and running into each other. And it's, it is so sweet. He's a, he's a widower, single dad. So there's yeah. just, there's just so much in here. That's just, that's just so adorable. Gotta love a hot widower. Yeah. I know <laughs> that, that, was, that was good. All right. Well, my next book is also a sponsor of the podcast this month. Uh, and I interviewed uh, the author. It's The Last Way Home by Liz Johnson. And this is a inspirational romance. So it does have a faith element, but I would say it's it's fairly mild. Um, well, I think it was pretty well done. Um, it's about this guy named Eli, who's a professional hockey player, when he started uh, out uh, his career in the NHL, he kind of distanced himself from his family, from his hometown, um, and uh, then he's he ends up disgraced through some gambling kind of thing that he ends up in, involved in. And so he ends up at home, and uh, there's this woman there named Violet who is working with his mom, uh, and uh and Violet has kind of her own tragic, tragic backstory um, that she's dealing with. And they had good, very good chemistry as a couple. You also, there's sort of a prodigal son dynamic to the story because uh, his brothers are a little bit resentful of him. They don't like him, uh, just like in the biblical, biblical allegory. And, uh, and then the mother is, is, is uh, welcoming and, and is so happy to have her son back, just like in the story. Um, so that's kind of there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I think if it was, uh, had good characters, uh, and it, there's a lot of characters that she's managing in one story. Um, uh, and uh, it's all set in Prince Edward Island. And, uh, so yeah, I think if that sounds like your kind of thing, I think you'd enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, Bree, what's your next one? My next one is matched by Masala by Mona Shroff. We did an interview with her. She's always just the sweetest. This is siblings, best friend, no siblings. Yeah. Siblings, best friend romance, which I love that trope. Um, yeah. The heroine is a cancer survivor and she had it when she was like 17. So she's 
want her way of like, I survived this is like, you know, skydiving and diving in the ocean and riding motors, just like living life to the fullest. And um, she's a pastry chef. The hero of the book is like an actual, just regular chef. And um, yeah, it's their romance. It was really sweet. It's, it, it reminded me of like why I love this trope so much. I loved that it wasn't like oh, it has to be a secret. Like the sibling is fully aware that the two are crazy about each other, but it's just kind of like waiting for them to figure it out on their own kind of thing. Uh, yeah, tons of food references. Mona Shroff is, uh, there's like, there's lots of Indian food and spices and seasonings mm. and don't read it hungry. It's, it's a really <laughs> emotional book, but it's still just super fun at the same time. I don't know how she does it, uh, but she always manages to just, balance both really well. So I loved it. Cool. Aaron, do you have a, another? Do you uh, yeah, I can talk about, uh, let's see, Waking Up Married by Reese Ryan. Um, this is part of the Bourbon Brothers number five. And it is, it's about two best friends. So plutonic best friends that they, you know, usually will take each other on dates to events and things like that. But on this corporate event in Vegas, uh, one of their siblings can't remember which one gives them a care package that has some brownies in it and that they were really good and and so they they ate all of them and the next morning they wake up and they find that they're married and not only that they've shared it on social media as well (laughs) and and they have no idea what happened so um, what was in those brownies yeah (laughs) there was there was something in those brownies (laughs) what's this called again waking up married Oh, this it's hilarious. It, it's like, it's like a it romantic felt like the hangover. hangover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk to Reese here soon. So I'm super excited. Oh, about I have to get that one. That one sounds fun. Well, my last pick, it was Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. Like I said, I decided to read mm-hmm. all of them. So this was next up. And uh, this is my least favorite. I used to really not like it. But then every time I read it as an adult, I like it more because I think Fanny is a really interesting character. I mean, the fact that she, given her background, the fact that she refuses Henry, uh, yeah. Henry yeah. Crawford over and over again shows a, a strong willpower on her part. And uh, I think what what makes it hard for modern audiences to accept Mansell Park is the fact that she marries her first cousin in the end. And also basically marries her uh, her brother like she she was raised with Edmund her whole life so it's a little it's not even like a cousin that she didn't know or no it's like basically her brother it's weird Mm -hmm. but the guy that always looked out for too. yeah (laughs) it's a different time um and it really doesn't matter that much because literally they they get together in the last like two pages of the book and so most of it is about her being uh, this interesting character that's willing to go against the wills of her uh, her uncle who's raised her, willing to go against uh, uh, pretty much everybody in society, but she does it in such a like respectful way that everybody likes her, which is just really interesting. And uh, and also this whole dynamic of basically you have these young adults who are bored trying to figure out what to do, so then they put on this sort of salacious play. And, uh, and it, it leads to all kinds of mischief. And it was really fun because I have this other little podcast I do with my friend uh, called The Criterion Project. And we covered, uh, the Metro- we covered Metropolitan, which is a movie by Whit Stillman uh, that is an, an homage to Mansfield Park. And, uh, and it, it, it's really the plot is really nothing like Mansfield Park, but in the sense of you have these sort of elites in the 80s, these elite uh, uh, haute bourgeoisie they call them urban haute bourgeoisie that are bored that are hanging around that are spouting philosophy like they know what they're talking about and uh, it's a very entertaining movie I, I recommend it recommend the episode where we talked about it uh on the criterion project but uh but yeah it's just it was interesting to watch that movie and read the book at the same time and kind of think about how no matter what area you are there there are there are young adults that are bored spouting ridiculous philosophy and (laughs) (laughs) and fanny is really an excellent character so it's a it's a it's a book that has definitely grown on me over the years 
I I love in so in Mansfield Park and Emma, there's mm. this big like build towards something that the characters are working for, and in both books, like it's just cut off at the knees. <laughs> like when when it gets to a certain point, it's so steps is like, nope, not, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, her uncle comes home and he was he's just like you're doing what with my office <laughs> you turned it into a theater oh my gosh and i i think it's more about the salaciousness particularly of the play chosen mm-hmm. and you know there was something i think scandalous about theater at that time that's maybe not now but i think in any time like young adults doing a lack of a better word kind of a smutty play is probably not gonna be looked on great by by their parents <laughs> yeah yeah so anyway uh and uh, and yeah, Edmund's an interesting character too, because he's just he's just pining after this woman, the whole book, and she's just Fanny sitting there like, "What are you doing? Why do you like this person? She's terrible." <laughs> and there are two versions, Mansfield Park. Uh, there's one from 1999 that I actually think is kind of underrated. Uh, it's pretty. There are some modern touches, but not that much. I don't know. I like it. So I think it's, it's a, it's pretty, it's a hard book to translate to the screen, but um, I think it's good. I like it. I think, and then there's another version from 2007 with um, Billy Porter in it and it, it's fine. It's not great, but it's it's serviceable, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) There we go. We did it. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, you have one more. Sorry, Bree. What's your last one? Um, my last one is Shielding Her Son by Katie Richards, and it's a Harlequin intrigue. So I don't want to spoil it because uh, it's so easy to spoil suspense novels. Mm-hmm. But basically, there's a woman, who, a single mother. Her, um, she found out she was pregnant shortly after a car crash, which killed her husband, who was like super over, like just super, I don't know, mentally kind of abusive. And you know why, because his father's like super controlling and the same type of person. So once he passes away, uh, she goes off and kind of goes in hiding. Um, And it looks like the father has potentially tracked down where she is um, because her son is his heir. And she's just like, no, I don't want my kid like in that life. Like you're not going to control him. Like you've done your sons. Um, but it seems like the person basically like the person is a lot closer to her than she realizes like the danger is a lot closer to home than, than when we, we realize. So it's really fast paced. She does romantic suspense so well that the suspense is a lot more heavier than the romance but it is so fast-paced and good like she just really weaves these kinds of stories together so flawlessly so again that shielding her son by katie richards very cool very cool well we did it yay Yay. (laughs) we did it thank you for having us this was so much fun i thank you so much aaron for coming on you were a great guest of course Uh, I really appreciate it. And so if people want to follow you on social media, all the fun stuff, how can they do that? Okay. So I am uh, the channel Aaron's Reading Room. I'm also Aaron's Reading Room on Instagram and on Twitter, I'm Aaron's R Room. And then I, I have like three TikToks out there, but Aaron's Reading Room is there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there great. Well. And uh, Brie, how can people find you? I am on Instagram at Brie.unabashedly. I mean, I have a presence there. I haven't been very present there, but I'm there. Uh, and I co-host the Categorically Romance podcast with Erin. And we post at least every Saturday, sometimes Wednesdays and Saturdays. So nice. just keep up with us. Yeah, y'all should definitely check it out. And you can find all that in the description. You can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'll put a link down to the episode that I did with Esther Hatch where we ranked all the versions of persuasion is pretty fun. And also put a link down to my review of the most recent persuasion from, from my site. So take a look at that. Also make sure you're following us on Goodreads. Uh, Aaron, are you, I assume you're on, on Goodreads. Uh, I, no, I, I do. It's, it's an old account. You can find it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll put whatever links we have in the descriptions, check that out. And uh, make sure you're following the podcast, the Homeworkies Pod and the Homeworkies Podcast, all of your social media. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews to both of our podcasts. We'd sure appreciate it. Five stars. And if you are listening on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our patron group and merch store. Take a look at that. 
and uh, and let us know what you think of Persuasion, the new version, the book, everything, all the other books that we talked about, what you've been reading. We'd love to hear in the comment section or on Twitter. And uh, thanks again, everybody. We'll talk to you all next month. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.